everybody. Um, hi, I'm Jacinta, if you don't know me, and it's so lovely to be here with you all this evening. Um, and it's a big privilege to get to speak. So um, I, we've been going at Renewal through some of the parables of Jesus, and I've been asked to speak about the parable of the pounds, or it's also called the parable of the miners, and I think maybe also the parable of the talents. And to be honest with you, I did not know a lot about it when I started preaching this. I have read it, but I thought it was strange and a bit harsh, so I didn't really delve into it any deeper until I had to. Um, so I'll try and give a helpful amount of context of what I've learned, and you might already know it or you might not, um, but do chat together about anything more because there's a lot in it. And also, last time I recommended this book, uh, Jesus Through Middle East and Eyes, and there's a chapter on this as well as a whole section on parables. Um, so I recommend borrowing this or buying it or something if you want to look at this parable some more. Um, so also, this parable I'm going through from the passage in Luke, and there's a similar parable in Matthew 25, but it seems from what I've read that Jesus told, the times that Jesus told that one and this one were kind of like a week apart, so it was a similar story, but to different people for different purposes. So that one might be interpreted quite differently, and I have not researched it. So we're going to go from Luke uh, chapter 19, starting at verse 11. So while they were listening to this, he went on, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So that was the context he was chatting with the disciples and people. Verse 12, he said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So this was a normal thing at that time. Herod did it. I think one or two of his sons did it. And it was a bit like, you know, when Liz Truss was kind of made the prime minister, but she had to go to the queen to be officially made the prime minister, apart from in the context here in Jesus' time, the outcome was more uncertain. So they might make the journey to Rome or somewhere, and then they might not necessarily get appointed as a king and given more responsibility. Verse 13, so he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minors. Put this M-I-N-A, not minors, minors. Um, Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects, so not his servants, different characters, his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. So a minor was about 100 days pay and... I always thought he just said, look after it for me, but he says, put this money to work, or in some um, translations, he says, engage in business on my behalf. Um, So it's kind of like they would have been trading with the money, but it would have been under the heading Nobleman Limited or Nobleman and Co. Like people would have known that they were his people trading with his money. And it says, until I come back, But in some translations, it's more like while I'm coming back or because I am coming back. So he's certainly telling them that he's going to come back. And he obviously completely trusts that he's going to be made a king and return to them. So essentially, he's asking them, use my money 
to actively represent me while I'm gone and in faith that I am coming back. Sometimes in UK politics, back to UK politics, we see people support each other and sometimes we don't and we see people kind of switching sides or waiting until the dust settles on a period of uncertainty or a scandal to kind of say, oh, I've always supported so-and-so when they haven't necessarily. So doing business for these servants in the nobleman's name would have been risky. It says that there's people in opposition. So it would have been risky in the event that the outcome of his trip was uncertain. But it would have made sense to do business in his name and been a good thing in the event that he was coming back and that they were certain of that. Verse 15. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Now he doesn't congratulate the servants on making loads of money, but on having been trustworthy and being faithful in carrying out what he told them to do. Verse 20, then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. So I've just come back from holiday and I entrusted my sister um, and her fiancé with watering my plants while I was away. And I left instructions and I left the watering can and I expected her to take up partnership in the continued growth and flourishing of those plants. If when I came back she said, I laid them away in a cloth, like you asked me to, I would not have been happy with her. Thankfully she was, she was great and they're all very healthy and some of them are even more alive than they were when I left them. So this third servant says, verse 21, I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? I always thought the master was agreeing that he was a hard man, but actually he's pointing out to the servant how he has misjudged the master's character. Verse 23, why then you didn't, why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. The end. Um, which seems confusing and quite an abrupt end and quite harsh. And this is where it's important, I think, to not let the parable limit our view of God or discount what we know of him, but to view it through the lens of Jesus. The actions of the master are confusing to me sometimes, and they're confusing to those within the parable. They're asking him questions. One study I read suggested that the end is abrupt because we're called to look at the character of the master throughout the parable. The third servant says that the master is hard, but actually, he's incredibly 
generous and trusting with the servants that he entrusts his money to and entrusts them to do business in his name. He rewards them generously. And he doesn't fire the third servant. He just takes away his mind and gives it to the one who has ten. And although he proclaims what the enemies deserve, he doesn't actually carry it out within the parable. So there's a lot that we can continue to meditate on there, on, on the character of the master and the character of God. But what to focus on tonight? I might go over time, but not too much, hopefully. Um, Jesus told this parable because the people with him had assumed that his triumphant return, what we would kind of call the second coming of Jesus, um, was about to happen. And the third servant in the parable didn't engage in business, presumably because he wasn't sure that the master was going to come back at all. So each, in their own ways, was limiting the scope of God's plan. In the small or the big, whether it's willful misunderstanding or assumptions creeping in, we can assume either that we know what God is doing or that he isn't doing anything. And I know I do both of these. And both, in their own ways, are ways of me being unfaithful. I have a big imagination, so if I think I'm getting a little clue, a little breadcrumb trail of what God is doing, I would rather plan the rest out for him um, and even pray to him, okay, do this, this and this, instead of just pray, do what you want, God. And I would rather plan the rest than trust it to him. And many is the time that I've done that. Before I met my husband, I had many occasions of being like, I fancy this boy, which means that it's God's plan for us to be together. I don't know if anybody else ever did that or does that growing up or had friends who do that, where it's like, just so happened to fancy them, is definitely, on a separate note, God's plan for us to be together. And I was disappointed a lot of times. Um, And some of you will know I once had a short-lived job in a bakery, and when I applied, I was like, this is God's plan of where I'm going to work, and I'm going to then, like get more into the bread making and I'm going to be apprenticed up the ranks and I'm going to be part of ethical change in the food industry and in the end I worked there for three months and it was horrible but when my plans that I've projected onto God don't work out I'm confused or disappointed or even it tests my faith and why should it it's not God's plan that has changed it's my plan so that's how I can kind of limit God by assuming Ah, I can see where you're going with this, God. I'll take it from here. On the other hand, assuming that God's not doing anything, I don't necessarily discount God from certain areas of my life. Like, I don't kind of go around being like, God's not involved in that, but I don't take the time and the kind of thought energy to count him in. Like, doing laundry, I'm just like, this isn't an area where God can help. I just need to strive, and this is just, it's not to do with church or anything, it's just me. Also, my husband does a lot of laundry. <laughs> I didn't want to fall. I just realized before I came up, wow, I'm going to really make it sound like I do it all. Um, certain relationships in my life, I might have what I think are the headline ones where something's going on or I'm praying, God, you need to intervene here. But I kind of just leave the rest laid away in a piece of cloth. Um, For a while, I had been thinking recently that I was maybe going to change jobs. So I started working as a nanny during COVID um, as I was unemployed and I was recommended as a friend of a friend. So even though I love it, firstly, I didn't start doing it on purpose. So it wasn't my purpose. So I kind of privately was like, 
it doesn't really count. It's not really a career move. And also, I started to think, well, I'm only working for one family, so I'm only impacting one family, and I could do similar tasks to what I'm doing now in a different context, maybe a nursery, and then I'm having a bigger impact on more families. And I kind of thought, yeah, I should be doing something different. And while God gives us freedom to make choices, because of this attitude where I was constantly thinking, what is God going to do in somewhere else in my life, in a different area, in the next job, and not here... I wasn't as engaged in my workplace. I saw it as a shorter-term thing that just happened to currently be going on. But it's not up to me to try and quantify what God is doing, but to engage in business as his representative with what he has given me and in faith that he is working. Ladies, all of you here are God's representatives. I hope you know that. You are God's representatives in all you are doing. I mean, do we believe that God wastes parts of our lives where he's just like, oh, they're doing that, I'll just switch off for a while because I'm not involved in that. Do we believe that he wastes a single thing that is done in faith? You are his representatives. Ephesians 6, it says, to put on the armor of God. And often I think of that as just kind of these separate tools that God gives us to do life. And it is that but it is the armor of God we put it on and it strengthens us but it also identifies us as people as women of God and when we're wearing it people can say how how does she live that way because she's wearing armor and whose armor is it it's God's armor it is we are his representatives and it and it's amazing that he chooses us to be his representatives hallelujah And it's so easy to sometimes see what other people are doing as more valuable to the kingdom of God. And it's not for us to quantify. It's not for us to say, that's worth more than that, or here's what you should be doing with me, God. And while we have faith that God is going to come back, Jesus is going to come back, (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, it's not for us to know when. So the disciples and people around Jesus thought he was going to, you know, oh, this is what he's going to do now. Actually, it's not for us to know the timings of God. And similarly, it's not for us to know when he's going to reap the harvest of the business that is going on in our lives. Sometimes we think at a certain point, this should be done or this should be ready or I should be moving on to something else. But it's not for us to know. Colossians 3 verses 23 to 24, which I also referenced for the fans last time at Renewal. Um, Last time I was at Renewal. Um, whatever you do what I say I reference it before because maybe God has something to say to us with this verse obviously Um, whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward and the servants in the parable do receive it is the Lord Christ you are serving so we don't work to have the most impressive seeming thing to share at church on Sunday and sometimes people share about what God's doing in their lives and it seems so clear and we love to encourage one another on one another with testimonies but let's be praying for the spirit to prompt that and let's be open to the fact that he might be prompting us it's sometimes a thing which seems so unlikely to us or that we assume that other people aren't struggling with which really speaks into someone else's situation and really encourages them Don't discount yourself from encouraging, praying for, or serving others. Hmm, 
am I saying here? Oh yeah, if you, if you kind of discount yourself from some of these things or you think the way in which you're serving others isn't as important, you're not really discounting yourself, you're discounting God. You're saying, I don't think that God can work through this thing that I'm doing or this part of my life or this job which I do as much as he can in what other people are doing. And th that is just such a lie. So we need, to, we need to see it for what it is, that that's discounting God. And then when we see that, we realize, of course, God can do anything. Of course, God can be working in my life. Even in areas that we think are unlikely candidates for God's success. And sometimes we skirt around those areas or those people in our lives. So I believe that the Spirit reverse engineered my thinking about my job, not to think what is going god going to do next or somewhere else but actually why has god got me here if he's given me this job out of the blue if he's made it kind of possible and probable for me to stay in this job for so long he must be working even though i can't see what it is that he's doing and i'd rather it was something a bit more impressive seeming and whether i finish tomorrow that job or if i continue for years god is working and he will use every part of it in the parable it says your miner has earned five more the servant said your miner has earned five more to the master so it's god's investment that is working on his behalf isaiah 55 verses 8 to 11 god says for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways he said this earlier declares the lord as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts I love this bit. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The first two servants trusted the master's word that he would return. And we can have absolute certainty in God's promises, in each of those promises there, in every one of his promises. We can have absolute certainty that his words do not return to him empty, but accomplish what he desires and achieve the purposes for which he sends them. God is always accomplishing his purpose. So I didn't always like this parable because... I didn't really understand it, as I mentioned, and I kind of thought it was about striving and doing more and more and more, and the servants kind of had to do things they didn't even know they had to do, like trading um, for a master who was somewhere else and was distant. But God is the master who asks faithfulness of us to echo his faithfulness that he has shown first. We cannot limit the scope of what he has done for us, how it says in Colossians 1, he has reconciled us to himself. That's what he's done for us. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions, our sins from us. Psalm 103. And we cannot limit the scope of how Jesus is seeking to and is able to and is transforming the lives of others. He commissions us in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Wow. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So some of this parable I think I found confusing because I was trying to find kind of a logical meaning in it rather than a holy meaning and trying to fit God into the person of this nobleman master character when actually it's the character that can only show a facet of God's nature to us. Because God is paradoxical. He doesn't make total logical sense. Jesus was the perfect representation of God and he did not do what people expected him to do and he did not stay working in the areas that they expected him to be at work in. He was the servant king. He died to bring life and even in his absence he is present with us. He promises that he is present with us and he is coming back as king yet all authority is already his. He is not harsh. He's not absent. He's not seeking to trip us up. He is seeking to reveal himself to us and to use us to reveal himself to others and to partner with him in bringing about flourishing and reconciliation. For again, in Colossians 1, it says he has reconciled to himself all things. And we get to be a part of that. Every single one of us. There's not an exception. There's no limit on the scope of what God is doing. We don't need to make his plans for him, and we don't need to discount his plans for him. We need to engage in what we're already doing. I'm not saying that nobody can make a career change, obviously, but you know what I mean. God is already working in what we're already doing. We need to rely on the certainty of his promises, trusting in his character, in faith of when he will harvest the outcome in his timing, because God is doing business in our lives in every one of our lives. So we get to do this in community with one another. So we're going to discuss now. And there might be some questions. There's not. I have some questions written down here. But they're quite broad. So first of all, just kind of, if anything, you know, struck you particularly or you have something you want to discuss with people, go for it. Some maybe prompting questions are... What areas in your life do you want to engage more in God's business? Or maybe areas you haven't considered business worthy? Or what seem the most unlikely areas in your life for God to be working? That's kind of just a broad, you know, take that where you will. Do you tend towards assuming what God is doing or assuming that he's not doing anything? Is God revealing something new or reiterating something of his character to you in this parable? And finally, do you know that you are God's representative? That's everything. Thank you. How wonderful was that? So good to hear you, and thank you so much. Um, God, there was a lot, wasn't there? A lot of good stuff to ponder on. Um, we're going to have a song now, just just one, okay, bit of time for personal reflection while we sing. Feel free to grab another drink, nibble some chocolate, and then after, at the end of the song we're going to come to some table discussions to, and um, we'll remind you of those questions and, and prompts. Just a chance to cheer it over together, um, a chance to kind of be real, be honest, be vulnerable, um, and then we'll have a bit of a 
Q&A time with Jacinta, um, slash sharing thoughts. Um, just a bit of a chance to, to chew it over a bit more together, um, and then we're going to have a time of worship. So thank you to Sarah and Julia. Um, yeah, do grab another drink as well. <laughs> 